church and welcome to another in our series, The Spring Into Action. A series over the spring that we're going to be talking about, but it says in Philemon 1.6, the active in sharing your faith. We're going to have a whole, we're going to look at a whole bunch of different ways in the scriptures that that is done. Um, and one of the things, of course, people can do and are doing uh, is you can also pick up one of these. This is a book from the Spring Into Action directly related to messages that I've written for company it. And uh, in this book, you can use it either in your personal quiet times or, of course, in a small group Bible study. But it just furthers uh, getting the Word of God into our hearts, allowing the Lord to do that transforming work that only He can. And, of course, one of the images we've got here, as you can see, is, is the little plant that's growing. The concept is planting the seed of God's Word in people's hearts and watching it grow. And, of course, that is a biblical principle. The Apostle Paul uses that that analogy, 1 Corinthians 3, 5 and 6, he says this, After all, you know, what after all is... To Paulus, he was a preacher, and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. And so here Paul himself uses that analogy of planting the seed of God's word. He saw himself as someone who planted the seed of God's word into people's hearts. Well, today we're going to look at um, really what is a very famous passage where Jesus sits with a Samaritan woman and talks with her, revealing himself as the, as the Messiah. So my topic today is sit and talk. Sit and talk. One of Jesus' approaches here as uh, he communicates that he is actually the Messiah. A lot of principles here to learn. Uh, let's start the account. John chapter 4, first three verses. It says, Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. I'll just pause there for a moment. Um, here, I, I think this is giving us a little bit of an insight as to how Jesus um, is, is feeling at this point. The Pharisees are debating about you know, the fact that John now is not, you know, a lot of his disciples are leaving and they're following Jesus and they're, they're discussing that. And, um, uh, but they're missing the bigger picture that John actually presented Jesus as the Messiah. And it's like they've, they've missed that. And it, it, there's this explanatory connective there, which we have in our English translation. It simply says, so as a result of that debate, Jesus went back to Galilee. I think Jesus left feeling somewhat frustrated with um, the Pharisees, and they just weren't able to, most of them, recognise him as the Messiah at that point. Moving on to chapter 4 and verse 3, it says, Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. There's quite a bit in that, those three verses. We learn that Jesus is tired. Although Jesus is fully divine, he is also fully human. Jesus got tired. It's been a long journey. We read that it was a sixth hour. Uh, the Jewish time, that is 12 noon. So it's hot. It's the middle of the day. Middle Eastern sun belting down. He sits down by a well. He's probably thirsty. We're told later in the passage his disciples had gone into town to buy food. He's probably hungry. Perhaps they hadn't had breakfast that day. So hot, tired, hungry, thirsty, a little frustrated with the religious leaders. I want to make the suggestion that I don't think he was in any mood to have a long evangelistic conversation. 
But one of the things I learn about Jesus and the way he went about introducing himself as the son of God is evangelism for him was a lifestyle. Number one, lifestyle. Number one, lifestyle. I believe for you and I, if we can move from where evangelism is only an organised event, which our church might occasionally do or some other organisation, moving to where it actually just becomes part of who we are, that is a massive shift. We look at Jesus as the ultimate model. He just naturally shared those truths of him being the, the son of the almighty God in relevant ways, no matter what the situation. You think of the extreme of this. He's dying on the cross for the sins of humanity. Two thieves either, either side. And one of those thieves is, you know, he's angry. And he yells at Jesus, you know, if you really are the son of God, why don't you get yourself off the cross and us too? And the other thief looks across and says, you know, we're justly being punished for our crimes, but this man has done no wrong. And he looks to Jesus and says, remember me when you come as king. Jesus takes the time to look across at this man as he's dying on a cross, bearing the sins of humanity and says, truly I tell you, today you'll be in paradise with me. No matter what Jesus was going through, it just was natural for him. And I see it too in others in the scriptures you know, actually, my wife is a very good example of this. Seriously, Pamela, she is. You know, I've, there's just so many times when over the years I've just seen her very naturally share the gospel of Jesus in very unplanned situations. Um, our third child, Zoe, was a, quite a traumatic birth. It was an uh, emergency cesarean. And uh, I can still have... Um, <laughs> Pamela still told me her last moments before she was... Um, but before she went under was this, the doctor yelling with a knife in his hand, a scalpel yelling, is she out? Is she out? Is she out? <laughs> well, uh, he, he was great because Zoe uh, had just stopped taking in oxygen, baby Zoe, so in the nick of time. Um, the ladies no emergency cesarean, any of those have had already cesarean, but especially an emergency one, you're in a lot of pain after that. And um, the next day, Amanda, who's next to Pamela in the Dandenong Hospital, with just a plastic sheet really between them, as it is, she starts talking with Amanda about Jesus. Several conversations. I'm sure Pamela didn't feel like going on an evangelistic campaign at the time, <laughs> but she talked at length with Amanda. Amanda and her husband, Jason, three weeks later came around to our place for a meal. We shared more about the gospel. They both gave their hearts to Christ, joined our church, and I had the privilege of baptising Jason shortly after that. If this switch can happen in our hearts where it becomes natural to share the gospel, whether prompted by the Holy Spirit or just finding ourselves just sharing, you know, because it's kind of there on the tip of our tongue, so to speak. And it can be all sorts of spiritual conversations, not necessarily Jesus' death on the cross, but just engaging in spiritual conversation. We certainly see it modelled by Jesus. The next portion says, 4, 7 through 9. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. See, told you. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. 
Now, probably because of what Jesus was wearing, pressed away his hair was done, she immediately recognised he was a Jew. And um, there is, there's a lot going on in these three verses. First thing I should mention, it was not culturally acceptable for rabbis to talk with women in public who were strangers, um, let alone immoral women that we find out. I mean, generally a rabbi would only talk with their immediately fam- the females of their immediate family immediate family. So culturally, this was a real no-no. And you can see this with the disciples. They're actually quite surprised. Look at this, 427. This is after the conversation he has with her. Just then the disciples returned and they were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or or, why are you talking with her? Well, they didn't know what to say. They thought, why is he doing that? Why is he talking with that lady? That's inappropriate. He shouldn't be doing that. You know, (laughs) but they didn't come out and say anything to him. Um, there's nothing in the Bible as to why he shouldn't be doing that, but that was the culture of the, of the time. But can I suggest that Jesus cared more about her than he did about his reputation? Cared more about her than he did about his reputation. And you see this in his life. Remember this scripture, Matthew eleven eighteen. It says, For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The son of man, Jesus says, referring to himself, came eating and drinking, and they say, Here's a glutton and a drunkard a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Well, Jesus hung out with gluttons and drunkards, so he got accused of being a glutton and a drunkard himself. And when they say he was a friend of tax collectors and sinners, that was a derogative term because the religious leaders of his day felt he shouldn't be friends with such people, or at least most of them did. Jesus' reputation was tarnished by some of the things he did. And I want to suggest as much as um, our reputation, you know, it is important, but not to the expense of sharing the gospel of Jesus. My point is this. If we're going to be effective in evangelism, we need to put aside our reputation sometimes. Put aside reputation. It should be up there. Put aside reputation. Put aside reputation. Um, Let me say it again. Our reputation is important, but not at the cost of being effective. In evangelism. I remember when I was a young guy, um, I was recently saved, young adult, and I started reaching out to some drug users. And um, in the journey of doing that, there were some girls from the youth group where I used to attend, you know, uh, kind of, you know, saying to their parents, oh, this is weird, Lee's hanging out with all these druggies, you know. And uh, so it tainted my reputation but the fact is I led some of those druggies to Christ look at 4.9 here it says I'll just read this again the Samaritan woman said to him you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman how can you ask me for a drink for Jews do not associate with Samaritans again here is something very very interesting very very clever how Jesus uh, how he goes about connecting with this lady um, you see, the Jewish people had deep, deep prejudice against the Samaritans. All sorts of reasons for that. You remember when I did the Nehemiah series, it was a Samaritan army that was resisting the Jewish people rebuilding the walls, aggressively re- resisting. There's a bunch of other stuff in the culture too. The Jews saw them as half-breeds um, and uh, they hated them basically. Now, one of the interesting things here is let's say uh, you're at a festival and there's a whole mixture of people there. There's Jews, but there's also Samaritans. 
And let's say this Jewish man has bought these beautiful silver goblets that he and his extended family have been using, but a Samaritan came and drank from one. What would he do? He wouldn't just tell the guy off or um, wash it. He would burn it. He would never use it. He would throw it away. He would burn it. They would never drink from the same vessels. And what did Jesus just do to break down the barriers with the Samaritan woman? Will you give me a drink? She would have immediately realised this guy has no prejudice against me. He's asking me for a drink and he's Jewish. Very creative. If we can learn how to do that, to break down barriers and show people we're not prejudiced, however that creative approach might be, it is a huge step in the right direction. Put aside prejudice is my point here. If we're going to be effective at reaching the loss, we have to put aside prejudice. Believe it or not, we probably all carry some. Um, I was was talking with the youth about this on uh, Friday night and I asked the question, why is that important? And they were saying, one of the girls spoke up and said, because if people don't feel accepted, don't feel valued by you, well, they're not going to be interested in the message. That's right, isn't it? That's right. If they just feel judged and, you know... That sort of thing, by they feel, feel um, a sense of rejection by you. Well, of course they're not going to listen to the message. Jesus demonstrated very powerfully love. And that's my second point today. You could sum this all up by simply saying love. Love. If we're going to be effective at sharing the gospel, we've got to love people. And they've got to somehow see that we love them. It's demonstrated in some way. Love. I remember when I was in England, um, we had had a big Christmas production uh, outreach, which we'll be doing here soon, in the middle of December. Um, And uh, at that outreach, we'd had a bunch of people come to faith in Christ. Um, In fact, uh, our opening night for Alpha, I think there was 85 people there and about half of them were unchurched. Most of them kept on doing the course. I think it dropped back to an average attendance of 70, but still a good turnout with about 35 or so um, new believers or not quite yet believers. In the journey of this, at my table, I I had a bunch of blokes that had been through, uh, amongst others, that had been through a Yeldor program. Yeldor ran an organisation, it was an organisation that was basically drug and rehabilitation. Um, So people who've had serious drug abuse in their life, it was a a course you could go, a live-in course, where people could be rehabilitated. Um, And also people that had served were serving prison sentences that related to substance abuse uh, could also, on good behaviour, come and do that course because it was live-in, it was permanent. Well, at my table, there were some of those blokes. Um, And three of them, uh, Mike, Rich and Alex, they said to us one night at my table, I was running it with uh, my administrator from church, and they said to the two of us, you know, you guys have every reason in the world not to trust us, to feel suspicious about us, why are, you, why are you doing this course? And yet you just accept us. I mean, you love us. It's because we just don't get this from anyone else. And they said that one night at, at, at the Alpha table. And when I say criminals, I mean, Richard was, was in prison for manslaughter. He got out on good behaviour and was able to do Alpha. All those guys were baptised. And in fact, um, my, my daughter Zoe was baptised the same day Richard was. And uh, she used to say to people, oh, yeah, I know a murderer. 
But it was wonderful, the wonderful transformation in those guys as they came to faith in Christ. But the fact that that was so important for them to feel loved and accepted. Why don't you be in prayer about who you can invite along to our Christmas production coming up? We'll have flyers out for that soon. You never know that person that you invite and how God could impact them with the gospel. I don't think Michael, Richard or Alex look like the sort of people who will ever get saved. And yet, God in his grace reached out to them. John 4.10 says this, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with in the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks from this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up into eternal life. The woman said to him, Well, sir, give me this water so I won't have to get thirsty and keep coming here to draw water. I've tried to read that as I think it happened. I imagine this lady definitely had a chip on her shoulder. Jesus is trying to talk about water in a spiritual sense and she's not taking the bait. You know, she knows that's what he's doing, but she's not engaging in it. And believe me, for her coming along and, uh, (laughs) oh, goodness, in the middle of the day, drawing water, Jesus would have been uh, thinking immediately, why is she here now? What do I mean by this? See, Jesus, I think, is listening to her. And he's reading between the lines. We probably have only have a summary of this conversation. But in the journey of this, I think he's gaining insight. And I want to suggest that um, a key in evangelism is not just talking. I know we always think gospel is about sharing. It's verbal, which it is. But it's also listening to the person. This is key. Can we put that up? Listen to the person. Listen to the person. Listen to the person. Why is that important? Well, as you listen and as you observe, you gain insight. And uh, can I suggest here, one of the things that Jesus would have certainly observed was the fact she was there at midday. Because you know the culture, ladies would come and draw water in the cool of the day, early morning or at dusk, and they would talk, 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 all the way down to the well and talk, 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 all the way back. She went in the middle of the day because it's the least likely time anyone else would be there. Why? Well, she didn't want to hear their snide remarks, their comments about her. So she avoided them. And this obviously is part of what Jesus is seeing. Why is it important to listen to the person? You remember the the biker, John Smith? Anyone remember that, that evangelist guy, John Smith, who started God Squad? Yeah, people remember him. I had him preach actually at my last church. He's passed away now, but uh, he's a great man of God. I remember him sharing one of his messages, talking about this concept of the importance of kind of knowing people's journey. He said when he was a young guy, having recently started God Squad, he's there with his new leathers and he's, he's sitting down in the gutter with this young lad. The lad's probably about 12, 13, something like that. He's sitting down there next to each other and the, and the, the young lad looks up at John and says, what's God like? Because he knew John was a preacher. 
And John, with an air of confidence, said, God's like a father. John didn't know what hit him. This kid just yelled at him and swore at him and, and said, well, if God's like that, I want nothing to do with him. Because what the, he, John didn't know was that um, this kid had a father who would come home very drunk regularly and smack his mother around, bell her up, and rape his older sister. Uh, and, of course, it was the worst analogy John could give. But, you see, John got to know the lad. But can you see how what we share, we get, it can be so much more relevant if we're listening, not only speaking. 4.16 says this. He told her, go and call your husband and come back. Perhaps with a pause, she says. Um, I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see you're a prophet. Um, here, here Jesus gets a prophetic insight about this woman's life. And uh, can I suggest that, you know, God is actually wanting to cooperate with you and I in the same way. You see, the way, the way the Trinity works, I mean, the Holy Spirit would have still been the aspect of God who was revealing things to Jesus. He's got listening ears to the Holy Spirit in the journey of communicating with this lady, and he's modelling that for you and I. Can I suggest this? Another key is listen to the Holy Spirit. Don't just listen to the person, but listen to the Holy Spirit. There's a lady in my last church called Kathy. Um, she was 65 and uh, didn't particularly look like an evangelist, but she really was. She would share with strangers all the time. Great lady. Um, she was telling me a story one day when she was in one of the major shopping centres and there was this um, uh, young man who was running a T-shirt printing shop. And so you could basically go and say, whatever you wanted printed, you could tell him and he'd have it done in about 30 minutes. And he'd say, you come and pick it up in 30 minutes. So obviously quite, quite cool that actually must go visit that shop. <laughs> anyway, um, she, she'd simply said to him, um, as she did with people, opened the conversation. Within a minute or so, she'd said, would you like to know about Jesus? And uh, anyway, he pointed to another lady running a shop and said, that lady over there, she's, she's tried to tell me about Jesus. I even visited her church once, but it's not for me. I'm not interested. Do you want a T-shirt? <laughs> Kathy said as he was talking about the other lady, just as that dialogue was going on, she felt a prompting from the Holy Spirit. She felt the Lord say to her, when he sees my name, it will open his heart to believe. And so Kathy said to him, actually, I do want a T-shirt. On a T-shirt that says in big letters, Jesus. And then underneath it is the way to God. And he said, sure, no problem. Come back in 30 minutes, we'll be ready. $35, please. Well, she came back 30 minutes later, and this, this young guy was, he's walking around like this in his shop. <laughs> she comes up and talks to him, and uh, I'll quote his exact words. He said this. You were meant to come here today. Before, I never thought much of this Jesus, but I have to tell you, when I saw the name Jesus in print, it's done something to me. 
And she shared, as he said that, he, he was smiling and his whole heart just seemed to have changed. Well, she got the chance, she shared the whole gospel of Jesus Christ with him and, um, you know, informed him about local churches and had a fantastic conversation, led him to Christ there and then. But we see there the cooperation with the Holy Spirit. You can pray about that. Lord, help me to have ears to hear both the person. Let me have ears to hear you. Can I suggest this? If we're going to be effective in evangelism, number three, we need listening skills. We need listening skills. Listen to the person. Listen to the Holy Spirit. Listening skills. Passage goes on, 419. It says, Sir, the woman said, I can see you're a prophet. Our ancestors, first time she asked a spiritual question now, our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews claim the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will, neither, when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in spirit and truth. Here we see how Jesus answered what was a difficult question of that time, a controversial question. We see answered it very, very clever. And, of course, we all know this about Jesus. He was tremendous with his words. Number four, you and I have got to be the same. Language skills. Language skills, our use of words is always going to be key when sharing the gospel. Let me explain what he did. First thing I want to suggest here is he could have got caught up in that debate, you know. Uh, you see, the, the Samaritan people had tampered with the word of God. Firstly, they only accepted the Pentateuch, the first five books. And they had changed the wording to glorify Mount Gerizim. Uh, Jesus could have gone right off about this because this is a serious issue, changing the word of God. Now, they didn't accept the, the Psalms or the prophets or, you know, the, the, the uh, teachings about the life of King David and so forth. So all of that had been rejected as well. So Jesus could have, you know, had a little go at her about what the Samaritans had done, but actually he tried to do something completely different. He got to the real heart of this issue and took it beyond shared something that this lady would never have heard before. He basically said this. Actually, it's not about where we worship anyway. It's about how we worship in spirit and truth. Very clever. And friends, that's the sort of thing. When we're in a controversial kind of topic, and there are so many unchurched people that have their one or two controversial topics they might want to raise with us. So often if we can go, be, go a little deeper, beyond the actual issue, it's amazing how God then can open up the doors in a wonderful way. I'll say more about that another time. Can I suggest this? I learned from Jesus that he had the ability to direct the conversation. Direct the conversation. And so often we can be in a conversation where we're allowing the unchurched person to dictate all the terms. And I want to suggest actually we just need to go a little deeper and we need to be a little creative and get to the heart of the issue rather than being sidetracked. 4.25... The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then, Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, am he. 
And she was clearly persuaded. We read later on, 439, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. So she went and told everyone about this Jesus. Many believed. In fact, Jesus stayed there for two days. So many people came out to hear about Jesus Christ. And I think, you know, the Salvation Army, um, William Booth used to say, I'll try and get the wording right, go for sinners and go for the worst. And the idea was if you leave someone who's a notorious sinner to Christ, the impact it has on other people around them is huge. This lady was exactly that sort of person. People all knew about her. The fact that she came to believe would have had a massive impact. Uh, Let me ask a question, though. Why didn't Jesus just reveal himself as the Messiah at the beginning, as the lady's coming up to the well? Like you've heard me say, this is probably almost certainly an abbreviation of the conversation. It may well have gone on for a good hour or so. So he could have, as soon as she came up to the well, he could have said, Greetings. I am the son of God. Believe in me for eternal life. But he didn't do that. And I want to suggest he didn't do that because that would not have been relevant for her at that point. She needed to go on a little journey. And I think uh, another key when you're sharing with people is discerning anyone's spiritual journey. Where are they at, do you think? Discern their spiritual journey. Discern their spiritual journey. You're thinking, what on earth do you mean? Well, let me explain it. Mr. Ingalls developed a scale, believed everyone was on a spiritual journey. Uh, This is my version of it. Let's have a look at this scale here. Down the bottom there, start down the bottom. There are some people that are antagonistic. They're anti-Christian, they're anti-church, they're anti-Jesus. They're a long way away from God's kingdom. And then there are atheists. They're one step up. Step up. They're not necessarily anti-Christian, but they just categorically do not believe in God. They're agnostics. An agnostic is someone who says they don't believe in God, but they actually they don't believe in God because they've never experienced Him. There's reasons why, you know. Um, but they're not necessarily completely closed, but they don't believe in God because they haven't come to that place where they've had any real experience to convince them. That's where I was at for many many years. An awareness of God. That's further along. There's a lot of Australians have an awareness of God. Oh, the man upstairs, they might occasionally pray when they're in trouble. They're not Christians, but they have some awareness of God. There are others who have an affirmation of Jesus. They're actually very interested in Jesus. They actually think he was a great teacher and they're interested in what he said. And there are others who even have an approval of the scriptures. They actually think the word of God is really interesting and they're interested in hearing what it actually says. Some even are at a place where they acknowledge personal sin. They know they desperately need forgiveness. They don't know how to get it, but they know they need it. Well, the later ones here, they're not far from accepting Jesus as Lord and Saviour. But you get the concept. People are on a journey. There are some people that are way back. You know, they're not, um, they're not going to be open to Christ as far as sharing the gospel. And there are others are not far from the kingdom of God. I think that lady had an awareness of God, but I think Jesus in that conversation took her down several steps. Now, I would share something very differently with someone who is antagonistic or an atheist than what I would with someone who already is affirming of Jesus. If they're already affirming of Jesus, I'm going to tell them what Jesus taught. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to God the Father except through me. Because if they're already respectful of what Jesus said and interested, that's going to be relevant. But for the, the person who's an atheist... I've kind of got to persuade them that actually God's real. 
You know, it's, you're, going, you're not going to be... The gospel of Jesus isn't going to be so relevant, but actually a story about God being real could be relevant. Yeah. <sighs> I've shared a lot of stuff today, and I'm, I'm sure as I'm doing this series, there are some of you who are thinking to yourself, Lee, this is terrifying. The idea that I'm going to share the gospel with someone, you've got to be joking. You've got to be joking, mate. Well, you know, my, um, my daughter Zoe, the one who uh, said, I know a murderer, um, she's 17 now and um, she's learning how to drive. So she's got all plates stuck up on the car and, you know, she didn't have much of an idea of it to start with, but she's getting pretty good now because she's been practising. And she's got to practise for 120 hours, as, as you know. Actually, sharing the gospel is very like that. For a lot of us, because it may be that we rarely ever do it, it seems so daunting. But if you ask God, Lord, help me in this, open opportunities, it's amazing what can happen. What I'm suggesting is this. Pop on the L plate and have a go. Just have a go. And we've had four L plate principles today. Let's have a look at them. First of all, evangelism should be a lifestyle. L for lifestyle. Evangelism should be a lifestyle. Number two, evangelism involves love. Two things we've got to do to express love. Put aside our reputation at times. Put aside any prejudice. Evangelism involves love. Number three, evangelism involves listening skills. And that's both listening to the person and listening to the Holy Spirit. Number four, evangelism involves language skills. And part of that is not just getting good at sharing those gospel truths, but it's learning how to direct a conversation. It's learning how to discern a person's spiritual journey and knowing where they're at will influence what we share. Four things point, four things there. Lifestyle, love, listening skills and language skills. Put on the old plate and have a crack this week. Let me finish with this final story. A whole bunch of these principles working together in this story. When I was a young adult, I um, ran something which really these days we'd probably call it an emerging church, but it was before that, coin, that term was coined. We called it a centre for evangelism and discipleship. And the idea was we, we would reach out to people, often who wouldn't step foot inside a church, and um, try and reach them with the gospel of Jesus. And I had two churches that supported us in this work. I remember getting a call one day from the local Uniting Church, very good evangelical minister there, and got a tingle there from, I think, uh, one of the admin people saying, oh, look, there's this guy, he's turned up at church, he's been sleeping rough, um, could you guys put him up for a while? Because it's part of what we did, people stayed at the centre, uh, guys stayed at the centre, that is. Anyway, I, so I said, yeah, I'll walk down, because the church was pretty close to where our centre was. Walked down and I, I met this guy called Mark. Uh, Mark was, um, yeah, look, you could see he was sleep, he'd been sleeping rough. His clothes were, you know, looked a bit grimy. Uh, his hair was a bit matted, teeth badly in need of a dentist. Anyway, so he started walking back to the centre and uh, first thing he wanted to do, not surprisingly, is have a bath. <laughs> um, anyway, so he stayed with us for a few days and there's some new young converts, another guy called Mark there actually. Um, anyway, they're trying to share the gospel with him. He really was not open. I th- he didn't say this, but I think he felt God has given me a pretty hard, rotten life. If God's real, I don't like him and he doesn't like me. You know, it was kind of that, that sort of attitude, I think. 
Um, anyway, one day I, was, I was, felt like I was getting a little further in a conversation with him. And often when you felt like you were getting somewhere, he wanted to get away from you. <laughs> so he said, oh, I'm going out to get some smokes. Um, but as I say that, it's not what you think. Uh, he meant something totally different. No, not marijuana. No, Maraca. Um, <laughs> uh, no, what he actually meant was, um, you see, his, his problem was that although you got some sort of benefit from the government, you know, whether unemployment benefit or whatever it was, within two or three days he'd spent the whole lot on alcohol. So he had no money left for accommodation or for his nicotine habit. And so he meant when I'm going to get some smokes, I'm going to walk around the streets and pick up cigarette butts, get some tobacco out of each one of them and make rollies. He had, had a little pack of rollies, but just the paper, and then put the used, well, it wasn't used, that last little bit of the cigarette that's not used, make up rollies with that. So I just, I look, I thought I'd keep on talking with him and kept chatting as we walked, you know, towards heart of town. Anyway, he's picking up cigarette butts here and there. I'm still chatting with him. And then he says to me, I can't find enough. I'm going to go, to the main, I'm going to go down to the main centre. And he didn't think I'd come with him. And actually I did, but then I could see why he didn't think I'd come with him. He's down in the gutter picking up cigarettes and I'm, I'm sitting down in the gutter talking to him and the looks he was getting, like he's just, people are staring at him like he's a dog with rabies and he should be shot. You know, very aggressive stares, you know, and uh, I'm getting them too because I'm with him. I'm feeling very uncomfortable. <laughs> and then I felt the Holy Spirit spoke to me. I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, Lee, you need to serve this man. You need to pick them up for him. And I'm like, oh, well, of course I would, Lord, but all the people around it, you know. <laughs> and then I felt like this stony silence from God. And so very reluctantly, sit down on the curb, start picking up cigarette butts, you know. More and more of these things. And uh, I got this great big wad of them. But as soon as I started picking them up, something broke in his spirit. He started to chuckle and he said, man, you're helping me. You're helping me. Man, you're helping me. Anyway, so we got, got all these, got big handfuls of these things. And anyway, we're walking back to the centre. And there's a, there's a corner shop near our centre. And, um, and I thought, oh, I can't let this guy smoke these filthy things. And so I said, look, tell you what, you promise to throw them away, I'll buy you a packet of cigarettes. And uh, he was very happy to get the pack of cigarettes, but he didn't want to throw them away. I said, no, no, I mean it. You need to throw them away. I'm not going to buy the pack of cigarettes. So reluctantly, I could see he threw them somewhere. He thought, well, I'll be able to find these later. <laughs> <laughs> so we arrived back at the centre. Um, one, of the, one of the young lads who was Christian there had put on the Jesus film. You remember that one that's been translated in more languages than any other film, the Jesus movie? Anyway, he put that on and there was a couple of his... Uh, well, guys he knew, I don't know if they were friends, but guys he knew who'd come along. They were a bit antagonistic, you know, making fun of the film a little bit, you know, not very open to Christ. But anyway, it, it had just been put on. So Mark and I sat down to watch it. The extraordinary thing was Mark was riveted because he normally didn't have very good attention span, but he was riveted. I'm looking at him, he's still watching it, he's still watching it. 
it got to the end where there's a, if you've ever seen it, there's a guy that comes on and kind of you have a voiceover. You see the flashbacks of Jesus and this guy explains the gospel and there's a prayer to invite Jesus into your life. Well, Mark out loud with a bit of volume in his voice actually, quite a bit of volume, prayed that prayer inviting Jesus into his heart despite the fact he knew there was a couple of other young blokes who were a bit antagonistic towards the whole thing, invited Jesus into his heart. Mark had gone several steps that afternoon, several steps down that Ingalls scale, as I called it. Um, now, I, I caught up with Mark a couple of years later where he, he was in a different city and, and chatted with a guy who was manager of a place called City Mission. And he said, oh, yeah, look, Mark's, Mark's doing well. He's not without his problems because of his history, but he is growing in God all the time. So he went on with that new found faith. So, friends... I'm going to ask Roxanne to close in prayer for us today because I, I think she's going to share a great prayer and we'll, keep, we'll film Roxanne too. Yeah. Come and pray, Roxanne. Let's close in prayer, congregation. Be upstanding as she prays. Thanks, Leigh. Father God, we pray, Lord, that you will open our ears and our eyes and our hearts to the message today, Lord, that you will give us the confidence we need to put on that L plate and to take the first step. Lord, we know that we're not alone in this process of evangelism, that we are not doing it in our own strength. And Lord, all of the deficits we see in ourselves, we know, Lord, that you will fill those and that you will step in if we only listen to your voice. And I pray, Lord, that you help us to hear your voice in these situations and that we are obedient to that voice, that we can take that first step, Lord, to bring someone to you and your kingdom. And, Lord, give us the strength that we need. And we just praise you, Lord, for your goodness, your grace and your mercy. And we thank you, Lord, for the incredible power of the gospel of Jesus Christ that can change lives in a moment, that can give hope and direction. And, Father, I just pray that we will be worthy disciples of you and can step out in faith in these situations that we prompted by the Holy Spirit will be obedient and we pray this in your name Jesus. Amen.